Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I like listening to old radio shows. Um, you know, I, shows that to, were on the radio in the 30s, the 40s, maybe into the 50s. I like Nero Wolf and Suspense and Dragnet. One of the shows that I've been introduced to as I listen to these is The Shadow. Now, if you're old enough or you, like me, enjoy listening to these broadcasts, you may have heard of The Shadow, but otherwise you may not have. And The Shadow is a, is a man, a wealthy man who uh, solves crimes and helps people in a very surreptitious, almost eerie kind of way, as you can see from the picture. And, and the, the beginning of every one of the shadow episodes begins this way. There's some ominous organ music. I thought of having Judy play that this morning, but I thought we wouldn't do that. But there's this ominous organ music, and then the narrator's voice comes on and says, Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. And then there's this maniacal laugh, <laughs> kind of thing. And then they move on into the show. Well, you know, I've been thinking about that little question. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men and women? And quite frankly, if we're honest, we do. We know the evil in our hearts. We know the struggle with sin that we face. But it's not just about us. It's, it's evil and sin that we see all over the world. We're reminded of it every day in small ways and large ways. Again, we're reminded this week of the bombing in Baghdad, something that hasn't happened there for a couple of years, but there it is again. We're reminded when our brothers and sisters are persecuted severely. We're reminded when we just see all the things that are going on in the world. And if you're like me, there is a sense of dread and almost hopelessness that can easily settle upon us as it doesn't feel like things are getting better. In fact, it feels like they may be getting worse. And we wonder, where's all this going? What's the direction? And we feel this weight of evil and sin. We feel our own sin. We feel the sin and evil of the world. And we're not the first people to wrestle with that. People have been wrestling with that for centuries, including the first century into which Mark writes his gospel. Mark writes to people who are struggling with hopelessness and despair about sin and evil in the world. And what is it that Mark writes? He begins his gospel by saying, this is the story of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he begins to unfold the story. And when we come to this part of chapter 1, what we see here is the power of Jesus. Marguerite talked about that a few moments ago. And Jesus heals the sick, and Jesus casts out demons, and we see Jesus overcoming the, the consequences and the effects and the presence of sin and evil right in the moment. But there's also something bigger going on here. There is some, I think that every time we read of Jesus healing the sick, every time we read of Jesus casting out demons, every time we read of Jesus raising the dead, what we're really getting is a glimpse into the kingdom of God. 
of what God intended it to be from the beginning and where it is all going to eventually end up when Jesus reappears and ushers in the kingdom in all of his fullness and puts everything right. And Jesus gives us glimpses of the kingdom in all of its fullness. He gives us, uh, he helps us understand that he is Lord over sin and evil and all of its consequences. And he comes, as John writes in his first letter, to destroy the works of the devil. And we get glimpses of it every time Jesus does this. He's king, he's Lord. We get a glimpse of, of what Revelation 21 and 22 describe for us. When, when John writing there says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And it flowed down the center of the main street. And on each side of the river grew a tree of life, and the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Jesus is giving us a glimpse of that. And this is where our faith is, is rooted and founded in the, the hope and the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord over sin and evil and all of its consequences. And it's what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says that if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we'll be to more pity than anyone in the world. If we don't really believe that Jesus is the Lord of all, then what are we doing? And so Jesus comes to reveal that he is Lord. But it's not just that he is Lord over all things. It is, it is the kind of Lord that he is. And he's not just revealing the, the power of the kingdom. He's revealing how the kingdom operates and how the kingdom works and how God accomplishes his great purposes. You notice that twice here we talked about Jesus encountering demons. And in both instances, the demons want to tell people who Jesus is. They say, we know who you are, Jesus. And in both cases, Jesus silences the demons. For a long time, I thought that was a strange thing for Jesus to do. I mean, doesn't he want people to know who he is? Then when you stop and think about it, you realize, well, maybe demons aren't the best character reference for you. Right? I mean, if you're on trial, you're probably not thinking that my best character witness is going to be the head of a crime family. So, you know, th there is that. But, but I think there's also something else going on here. I, I think that Jesus realizes that the demons identifying him are really trying to circumvent the way of the kingdom. They're really trying to, to circumvent and change the way the kingdom works and God's plan for how he reveals himself and his saving grace. It's what Jesus goes through in his temptation. Mark doesn't give us the details, but Matthew and Luke do. And when you, we sort of summarize those temptations, what, what the evil one is really trying to do is to convince Jesus to take a shortcut. To convince Jesus to circumvent the plan and the purpose and the way in which the kingdom operates. And I think the demons are doing that here and Jesus will not let them. 
We wrestle with that. I wrestle with that. I want the kingdom to be exactly what I want it to be. I want Jesus to be Lord the way I want him to be Lord. You see the disciples wrestling with that. You go to Mark chapter 8. I mentioned this last week. It's this incident where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And eventually Peter says, you're the Christ, son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, that's right. Now let me tell you what that means. And he starts talking about how he's going to suffer and die. And Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, don't talk like that. That's not the Lord we were anticipating following. And what's Jesus' response? He rebukes Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Because you don't have in mind the things of God. The demons don't have in mind the things of God. And Jesus knows that. And so he silences them because it's not time yet. It's not, it's not the right pathway of the kingdom. And, and what we have to understand is that it's not just that Jesus is Lord, but it's the kind of Lord that he is. It's not just that Jesus is revealing the nature of the kingdom, but he's revealing how the kingdom operates. I have found that the kingdom tends to operate much more slowly than I would like for it to. Maybe you've found that too. Just this week or last week, I was rereading some of, of our own Don Little's book on uh, discipling Muslims. And near the end of that book, he makes a statement, something like this. He says, I, in all my time in the church in North America and uh, different places of the world, he said, I've come to realize that God tends to operate much more slowly than I think. And I resonate with that. I find that true as well. I think that's what the demons want. They want to speed up the process. And Jesus says, no, timing is vital. I think part of our struggle, the human struggle, is that we, want to grab, we gravitate toward the spectacular. We want things to be bigger. We want things to be faster. We want things to be, to be more exciting. And we are continually looking for those moments of excitement. We want to jump from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. We want the Christian life to be just one exciting moment after another. But here's the honest truth. Being a disciple of Jesus sometimes is boring. Sometimes it's plotting. Sometimes it is simply living out what we're supposed to do without any fanfare. I sometimes wonder if the greatest test of our discipleship, of our willingness to follow Jesus, is that we follow him when there is no excitement. When there is nothing spectacular going on. It's just life. And we believe that God is in everyday life. God is in what we think is the mundane and the ordinary. Because he is. And we need to understand that the kingdom moves at God's pace, not at ours. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to understand and we have to, we have to submit to the timing of God and his kingdom. But I also think the kingdom is smaller than we tend to think it is. 
Now, by that, I don't mean that, that God's kingdom is only for a few people. I think Jesus comes for the whole world. But I think that, again, we, want to, we think that, that the best indication of the kingdom is big. But actually, it's small. Because the kingdom is about relationship. The kingdom is about relationship with Jesus and about relationship with each other. Isn't that what Jesus says? Summarizes the whole nature of the kingdom. To love the Lord your God for your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. So everything that's taught in the scriptures is wrapped up in those two statements. God is, the kingdom is concerned about people. And one of our struggles is that we have a tendency to think that the kingdom is about the excellence of a program or the bigness of a program or the movement of a program. And as important as programs are, as important as, as, as doing things are, the heart of the kingdom is about people in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we can forget that. It reminds me of the story in Mark chapter 5 when, when Jesus is approached by Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and he begs Jesus, says, my daughter is dying, would you come heal her? And Jesus says, of course I will. And they're on their way to Jairus' house, and there is a woman, Mark tells us, who has been suffering with bleeding for 12 years, and she's done everything she possibly can to find a solution, and there is none, and she's at the end of her rope. And then she hears Jesus is in town, and she thinks to herself, if I can just sneak up, touch his robe, I'll be healed. She has that much faith. And that's exactly what she does. She sneaks through the crowd and unassumingly touches his robe, and she is immediately healed. And you would think that's the end of the story. But Jesus stops the procession. And he says, someone touched me. And of course, you know, Peter's looking around this mob around Jesus. He says, Lord, everybody's touching you. He says, no, no, this was different. He looks at the crowd and says, who touched me? And this woman comes and falls at Jesus' feet. And her story kind of spills out. And I suspect the whole time Jairus is thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? We're on a mission. We have a purpose. We have to get to my daughter and, and heal her. We don't have time for this woman. And Jesus, by his actions, says, oh, we always have time for people. Because Jesus wants her to know it's not just about her healing. He wants her to know that she is a beloved child of God. Without that conversation, without Jesus stopping, the woman would have gone away and she would have been healed and she would have had a lot of admiration and, and appreciation for Jesus. And that would have been great. But she wouldn't have known that she was a beloved child of God. And Jesus comes that all people might know that we are beloved children of God. That's the nature of the kingdom. It's wonderful that the people are amazed at Jesus. You and I were there, we'd be amazed too. And, and, and they are amazed at what Jesus does and how Jesus works. They're astounded by that. But I don't think amazement, as great as it is, is enough. 
I don't think that's the ultimate end that, that the kingdom is leading us toward. I think the ultimate end is leading us toward faith. Faith that says, I want to follow Jesus with all of my life. It's wonderful that, that Jesus does these great things, but ultimately, it is about embracing Jesus with all of our being in faith and obedience and love. And we can easily lose focus because we get so enamored with the things that amaze us that we miss the point of submitting ourselves in relationship to Jesus. I've been reading a, a biography of, or I finished reading a biography of Hudson Taylor again. Just a phenomenal man of God who got a burden on his heart from, from God about the inland part of China in the 19th century that was virtually untouched by the gospel. And so he, he had this burden and he, and he prayed and, and he trusted until eventually he started the China Inland Mission. And, and the result of that was hundreds if not thousands of missionaries all throughout inland China sharing the gospel. Hudson Taylor would say to people as they joined the mission, our goal and our purpose is not to reach inland China. Our goal and our purpose is not to, to bring people into the kingdom. Our goal and our purpose is not to be a part of this mission. Our goal and our purpose is to love Jesus. And when we love Jesus, then we want to obey him, which may very well lead us into inland China. It may very well be that we become channels through which people come to faith in Christ. But our, our purpose is to love Jesus. That's first and foremost. That's who we are, and that's what we're about. And he understood the nature of the kingdom. If the purpose had been to go to inland China, into China, if that was the, the ultimate purpose, then you can run over people. You can do whatever you want to in order to accomplish that end. You can even do that without loving Jesus. But when you love Jesus, when you recognize that he is Lord and you want to follow him with all of your heart, then things like going to inland China happen in the way the kingdom is designed for them to happen. In God's time and in God's way. And that's true in our lives as well. And the question for us this morning is do we believe? I mean, do we firmly believe that the good news is rooted in the nature of Jesus as Lord and the nature of the kingdom the way Jesus reveals it? When we come to that place, then we no longer have to fight for our rights. We can simply release our lives to him and know that he will lead us and guide us in whatever way is right and best. When we believe, that it, when we believe with all of our being and our actions and all that we do that the kingdom as Jesus designed it is really the good news, then all the teachings of Jesus make sense. You know, it makes sense then that 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It makes sense that blessed are the peacemakers. It makes sense to go the extra mile and turn the other cheek. All of that makes sense when we believe and embrace the kingdom as God designs it and as it's revealed in Jesus the Lord. And it makes a difference in our own lives. You know, sometimes we can think, well, you know, I'll never get out of this. This is just who I am. I just, I just have to, you know, give up on ever being any different, of ever being free from this bondage of sin. It's just the way it is. But if Jesus is Lord in this way, and we believe that this is the good news, then we believe that God can change us. God can make us new. God can set us free. We can be His people that He designs, that He leads, that He empowers. A couple of weeks ago, Terry Page was talking about the Jordan River, and as he was talking about that, I, I realized that he was talking about some things in a way that I'd never really thought about before. As he, as he talked about how John the Baptist settled himself at the Jordan River to baptize this obscure, out-of-the-way place that, that you wouldn't really go to naturally, and yet John knew that this place was significant to the, the people of Israel. Because at the Jordan River in their long history, it's the place that, that moves them from being in the wilderness to being in the promised land. And there is something about, as I was thinking about that, there's something about Jesus as Lord that he not only brings us out of the bondage of Egypt and sin, but he brings us into freedom and holiness and life. And that's the good news of the gospel. It may well be that we need to, to hear Jesus' directive back in verses 14 and 15 when he begins his ministry in Mark and his message is repent and believe the good news. And it may be that in this context to repent is to ask God to open our eyes to who he is, to open our eyes to, to the nature of the kingdom as he has designed it. And to become followers and disciples in the way that he leads in every moment of our lives, whatever we're facing. It may well be that we need to say, Lord, forgive me for living as if the kingdom were what I designed instead of what you designed. And help me to see that Jesus is Lord and he is this kind of Lord. In uh, Esau Macaulay's book, Reading While Black, he tells a kind of an unknown story of St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis, who uh, followed the, the, the spirits moving in his life to reform the church and, and created a movement that of, of, of priests and people who would, who would restore the church and would minister to, to the people who were being neglected. And, and this movement began to snowball and grow and grow. And 10 years later, there were thousands of people who were following St. Francis, calling themselves Franciscans. St. Bonaventure was one of the Franciscans. 
And on this, on this tenth year, ten years later, after, after this movement was founded, when they were having a large meeting of all the people, Francis surprised everyone. I mean, everyone agreed that there was so much more to do and that Francis was the one to lead the doing of it. Everyone agreed that, that he was the glue that held them together. Everyone agreed that he was the point person, that he was the one that everyone looked to for the direction of this movement that God was using, using mightily. But on this day in the gathering, he surprised everyone by saying... I am concerned that the movement is becoming more about me than about Jesus. And so I'm going to resign as the leader of this movement. I'm going to turn it over to Brother Peter. And I'm going to ask him to simply make me one of the Franciscan monks. And he stood before Brother Peter in humility as all the people watched in shock. But I think Francis understood something that we sometimes miss. That ultimately the kingdom is not about our way, it's about God's way. And Jesus is Lord in the way that he desires to be Lord. And the calling on us is to trust that's true when we see it and when we don't. When things are spectacular and when they're mundane. That we trust his way, his time. Father, we ask that you would give us hearts to believe that Jesus is Lord in this way that the kingdom is yours in this way. And we ask this through Christ Jesus.